0: Hey, my name is Ev Bannett. Welcome to the Yesod Blocks channel. You can check this out as a podcast. Also, in an audio form for this episode, we're going to talk about the coronavirus and Mashiach. The reason we're talking about this is because, well, coronavirus seems to be a very hot topic right now uh, for pretty obvious reasons, although kind of, not maybe some are not so obvious, but definitely some obvious reasons. And I've been getting a lot of uh, pings from different people asking about what I think about this question, what exactly the Mashiach deal is. Uh, Mashiach means Messiah, and in Torah and Talmudic and just general Judaism tradition, as well as other religions to a certain degree, there's this idea of somebody called the Messiah, which is like a person who sort of shows up and sort of saves the day. And we actually have it as one of our principles in the Torah um, written by, uh, the principle is actually articulated by a few people, but basically the principle that you're supposed to really constantly look towards or look forward towards the Messiah's arrival. And the question is, well, what do we think about this situation right now? We're in a very unusual situation. The whole world is kind of like blocked up, blocked off, a lot of lockdowns, a lot of isolation, a lot of uh, literally unprecedented in a lot of ways, uh, types of reactions to the situation that we're currently experiencing in the world stage. And the question is, well, how does this interrelate with the concept of Mashiach? Can we expect Mashiach? Uh, Is it something which is real, not real? How do we think about this? How do we put this all into perspective? So in order to do that, I have to sort of differentiate between two things. So there's really two different um, aspects when we start talking about Mashiach. Uh, The concept of Mashiach does not just mean a guy who shows up and saves the day. So you can think about it like this. Um, Mashiach is sort of like a character that there's, uh, going to be room for him on the world stage when the world stage is properly set up for him. So what does that look like? Well, when you understand what exactly the, the, the mindset is you have to have uh, in order for Mashiach to be there, then you'll understand why Mashiach would sh- sort of show up whenever you have that mindset. Let's put it like, let's just sort of clarify that. So part of it is there's a person who's going to be this character we call Mashiach, but a much more significant part is actually the world overall world mindset and perspective. Uh, towards the reality that we live in and that perspective has to be clarified in like very specific ways I don't just mean that everyone is gonna suddenly care about Shabbos or the Sabbath or the Torah I mean something kind of deeper than that uh, it's not it's not. it isn't not that but it's much more than that which is that there's a certain way of thinking that is very big and very deep and very real that when you have an, sort of like a critical mass of people thinking in that way that makes room on the world stage for them to be able to receive a certain type of leader who can then take that authenticity and depth and clarity and direct it and funnel it towards a much higher, much more intense type of direction for the whole world consciousness to sort of turn towards. So that the Mashiach character only sort of appears when you have that background. So let's just analyze a little bit what that background looks like and then sort of try to assess if what we're experiencing now in the world is that background already? Are we getting to that? Are we at that now? Are we on the way to that? Is this nothing to do with that? And let's see if we can get somewhere with that. So uh, first of all, I wanted to sort of, um, just to to illustrate that this process is something which has actually been gone through, uh, or at least attempted to have gone, to be gone through in many, many contexts in history. Uh, what we call the Mashiach headspace formation is something which anytime there is a a break or an opening from a smaller way of being to a larger way of being, the Hebrew word for that is the word geula, uh, commonly translated as the word redemption. It really means to sort of free yourself from what's called a narrower space. The word for the narrow space is the word mitzrayim. Uh, from the word Mitzrayim, which means like narrow location and so in the original story in the torah in uh, the book of exodus and sefer schmos is actually about the process of bene israel our ancestors getting uh, released from this narrow space of mitzrayim which was literally a narrow space not too different i mean different in many ways i guess in terms of the intensity and the and the brutality but in terms of the isolation and the struggle that we're all feeling today there's a certain similarity which is that they were trapped in these narrow spaces and now they're trying to free themselves from that. So in the story of the Exodus, there's actually uh, a, a long introduction by the Ramban, Nachmanides, who writes that there were really two phases to the process of the Exodus. The first phase was the actual release where they actually left the the, the land, the country of Egypt, and were freed from all the physical uh narrowness they were experiencing at that time, all the burdens and the abuse they were undergoing. Then the next phase is actually an ideological narrowness they had to free themselves from. Because if you're a slave and you're an abused person, as we all know, abuse psychology something which lasts for a long time, leaves a very significant trauma, can be hard for us to sometimes free ourselves from an abusive psychology and think to ourselves, you know, maybe the rest of the people in the world aren't going to be abusive the way my, my abuser was you can get trapped in this headspace it's very narrow and you can sort of fail to see the truth of the environment that you're in so that larger uh... release from the narrowness of of mind is something which is actually uh... an ongoing process that all human beings go through constantly and so Really, what we're, what we're referring to here in terms of the headspace of Mashiach is actually that headspace, that process. It's the ability to sort of free yourself from narrow thinking in every area. So let's go a little deeper for a second. Uh, first of all, we have sources in the Talmud that talk about how there are many different people along the way of history who could have been the Mashiach. Uh, Chizkiyahu HaMelech was one of them. Rabbi Akiva thought that, um, that uh, Bar was was Mashiach. Uh, these are people from thousands of years ago and people also since then who were believed at different times to be mashiach and the reason is because these are people who had very catalytically broad and big perspectives that were far larger than the usual narrow approach that was that was commonly being utilized at the time. And so whenever somebody would encounter a perspective, they don't say, wow, look how broad and big that is. It's so much bigger than the narrow way that I see things. So then people would actually start to think that could be Mashiach, and they're not wrong. So the problem is, of course, that since the people in the surrounding context were not able to raise their own headspace um, in parallel to that particular person or person's uh, level of broadness. So then the context does not allow for that person to then be the leader who could take those people to the next phase that Mashiach is supposed to really be taking the world into. And we're going to talk about that phase also towards then. So basically the, the headspace is really the the more integral element, at least for the for the earlier part, sort of setting the stage for this character Mashiach to really appear. Because What that kind of implies is that this character could already be here now. In fact, you could have different people throughout every generation who could potentially play the role of the leader that is Mashiach. You just need to have a a large enough uh, uh, group, I guess you could say, or a large enough trend towards true, broad thinking to then set the stage for this character to then become the leader of that. And so then obviously what that kind of leads us to is the major question, which is, well, what exactly is the nature or the mapping, the structure of this kind of thinking that lends itself then to creating a space for that kind of leader to come and and sort of lead us to where we need to go next? So I'm gonna use a couple of examples to illustrate how this works. Uh, one that I kind of feel like is uh, it's a little bit of a hot button topic right now because we're in the middle of the coronavirus uh, pandemic as the time of this you know video being created, this episode being created. Um, but the example I want to use is um, earlier on about about. A month or a month ago as this whole coronavirus covid-19 situation started to unfold so a lot of people made comments about how this is no different from the flu or if, forget no different it seems to be even less deadly the number of people that actually have died from it is pretty low and you know it's not a lot of cases and we're sort of shutting down the world for literally a hundred thousand two hundred thousand people who have been infected with like you know only a few thousand who have actually died from it and you know in that um in that in that thought structure. So there were a lot of different responses in the social space, the media space, social media, and what we all did as a society and a world society, really, we all started to sort of absorb the arguments from both sides, what each person thought, and you know, the which was the popular opinion and the not so popular and which is the contrarian opinion. And there's a lot of different dynamics there socially going on, people arguing for and against that idea. And what I want to sort of do is just ignore that whole conversation for a second, the back and forth, and just sort of zoom in on just one element for a second, which is See, what I found very interesting about the entire discussion is that the question of like the flu versus this coronavirus, uh, this new virus. So it was almost like we were sort of we were sort of saying, well, we have the regular flu and a lot of people die from that. And then now we have to start sort of um, operating differently because we have this new virus. And what's funny to me about that whole thing is that like the the embedded assumption was well the flu is not such a big deal and we sort of handle that fine and now this new virus is a big deal or isn't if you disagree and then like question is how do we deal with that but like i as a person and i'm sure there are many out there in the uh t in youtube land who would agree with me so some of us have already been very cognizant of the fact that many people die every year from the flu the flu is very painful you know friends that i've had that got it and were like out out for a week from work and you know it was just very difficult and you know, a lot of us know the flu is bad and hard and some of us have lost relatives to the flu and it was traumatizing and tragic and and we also many of us know to like wash our hands and like to also constantly be on the lookout like i work in a school so i'm always very aware that like people are spreading disease to me and i try to avoid viruses and to me this was not like a new phenomenon I wasn't suddenly like oh my gosh the flu was not a big deal but this is a big deal i was like this is the same deal i have no idea yet how how many people could die from this particular bug but like in terms of the responses like i'm not i'm not in any way startled that like these are all good ideas we should definitely try to be more sanitary and constantly try to take care of our hygiene, because if you're hugging people, shaking people's hands, I'm not capable of shaking people's hands at this point in my life without washing my hands afterwards, because I have gotten sick so many times from physical contact in that way, that I just assume that's what's going to happen. So now whenever I shake people's hands, I just always wash my hands. So what's interesting about that whole sort of setup of thoughts is that for a lot of people, it sort of sounded like, like the flute thing was like a write off, it was an easy thing. And this new thing is like, well, now we should really start to wash our hands. And to me, I was kind of like, well, why is that? And so that whole thought process kind of led me a little deeper. And the analysis was, OK, people are thinking about this in a funny way. I guess they generally take the flu for granted as like an easy come, easy go type of situation. And now this new thing is like very much in their face. It's very much noticeable because everyone's talking about it. And so that the response was to sort of hype that up and sort of be like, well, the flu, we don't need to worry so much, but we have to, do need to worry about this in terms of all the hygienic responses. So then I analyzed that a little bit more deeply. And I started thinking, you know what? It's funny. like when you really don't pay attention to the flu in that way, what are you really doing? You're kind of ignoring that like every year, 60,000 people die from like a random virus, in America at least. And I was like, well, how do you ignore that? But now suddenly you're not ignoring this. It's funny because like not a lot of people have died from this virus compared to the flu, but you're paying so much attention to this virus that it's literally dominating. I mean, I just spoke to a family member of mine and she's like, it's all she's thinking about is this virus. I'm like, you never think about the flu at all. And so the question is like, well, what's going on underneath that? And I think the answer to that is pretty obvious. We all know how that works. Um, There's uh, some element is that, you know, there's some actual information that says this virus could be worse. But more deeply, there's a much larger psychology here, which is that things that we're used to, things that are more known, they fade into the background and we're sort of less aware of them. And things that are more unknown and new and potentially different are things that are going to be very noticed by us. And for those of you who've been watching some of my content, you know this is a function of a distorted perspective we call das tovara, where you tend to fixate on certain things and other things just fall into the background and so then you have to go a little deeper well if that if the flu dynamic is sort of falling into the background what does that really say about the way that you're thinking if you want to argue let's 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 pick one particular person's counter argument you'll argue and say well um in this case though you know that first of all people are dying from this virus so that's obviously bad and it's also bad that people die from the flu well the reason why i have i have a hard time with that perspective in general is because you start talking of people dying from a virus or dying in general so there's something that's underneath that which needs to be analyzed carefully what exactly is the problem when somebody dies why do we have a problem with that now i know that seems like an obvious type of question like i'm not saying what's the big deal i'm saying like what exactly if you have to quantify the problem when somebody dies, what exactly is the issue? And I think if you think very carefully about what the issue is, then things like the flu and other deaths that are constantly going on around us will sort of stop fading into the background, will stop being distorted and being taken for granted, and sort of start to fade into the foreground more and become part of a larger picture of how to think about life, which is gonna be much bigger and broader than just, well, whatever's in my immediate situation and environment gets paid attention to, and other things fall into the background. And this is really the beginning of the doorway to understanding the headspace of what Mashiach perspective is actually like. And so let's think about that for a second. The Torah's description of this is, well, we have a body, and then this body is a conduit for the neshama, the self, to shine through, just like I'm shining through right now. And whenever a body turns off and shuts down, we call death death so now there's the access to to that self we call the neshama is drastically reduced in other words you can't access another person's consciousness very easily if their body is non-functional that's what we we've already everybody knows that if somebody's body if somebody's body is asleep for example it's very hard to access them the talmud writes that sleep is a 60th of death because it's very similar to death in terms of the accessibility but at the same time, the consciousness is still tethered to the body, so therefore it's not really death. It's also true with people who are comatose. In other words, when a body is non-functional, it leads it's a situation in which now the consciousness, in other words, the neshama, the self that we talk about, is now no longer being channeled and into the world in a way that we can access in the way that we are used to. And so the actual value of that is like, well, we all obviously like our connections and our relationships. We yearn for connection with the people who are in our lives. And so when we suddenly lose the ability to do that, that's very important for us. Go a little bit more deeply underneath that. And the question is, well, why is that so important for us? Why do we care so much about losing access to other selves that are a part of our lives well the torah's description of that and i think if you think intuitively you'll sense this in yourself is because you sense that people who are a part of your life are in a certain way a part of yourself in other words when you build a relationship with another person so what you're really doing is you're sort of exposing or revealing the fact that yourself the neshama the consciousness that you are that is shining through this body is actually in some way the same one connected merged with another self shining through a different body and that at the root you're really one person that is sort of experiencing this world through two different frames of reference that's a very profound thing we call that the oneness of love And so that as just a thought process is like, well, whenever somebody else's body shuts off, so then there's suddenly a sense of loss of self. I just lost a part of myself when their body turned off. And now my journey of continuing to connect to the rest of me, which is all the other selves in the world, that journey is being interrupted and is now being sort of temporarily, or in my mind, sometimes even permanently, shut down and blocked off. So now I can no longer journey forward to continue to discover who I am and how I and the other selves are all part of one giant story so that's why we do not like death because death sort of flies in the face of what we believe we're here for we think we're here to live as like as characters in a story that we're all part of that we're going somewhere we don't really ever want to leave we don't want other people to leave either we sort of want to continue to grow and connect more and more deeply and only the only time that we really decide we want to leave is when things are are so bad here that connection is completely impossible then people will say well I'm in so much pain I can't connect or there's so many problems that there's just no way to functionally connect that I just it's better if I wasn't here anymore but overall we are interested in continuing that journey with each other constantly, and that's why when people are suddenly removed from that context, it's very challenging. But here's the thing: see, if you don't think about that, you don't. If you don't, if you don't access that headspace, if you don't learn all those stages of connection, right? What did we just say? We said it's bad when people die, but only people who are like, if it's right in my face. Well, is it really though? Like people who are not on your face it's also bad, even though you might not sense it, but it's bad for them. And well, why is it bad when people die? Because people are are each endless selves, consciousness that is not accessible. And while we are all part of each other, and we're all kind of part of the story, if you learn all those ideas, and you actually start to experience the world that way, and if you if you think very deeply about what those ideas imply, how they imply that you're not just a body, you're something which is sort of endlessly beyond that, well, then suddenly, the whole discussion of like, you know, which virus, which situation, it all kind of enters a much more um, uh, proportionate or properly organized, let's say, set of ideas, where now the value of life can be understood both in situations which are not this virus. You can sort of think about people who have the flu in a much more intense, real way and realize the loss that they felt when they suddenly lost their loved one from a random virus, as well as people who lost their loved one from a random uh, other disease or from a plane crash or a car crash or some other problem or a suicide. And you can start to really sort of get a sense of where these things are sort of coming together. And there's really like, uh, again, not, not, not that you should then be sort of constantly shoving death in your face, but sort of understanding like what death is and how death is kind of like this problem that interrupts our ability to create love. And that's what makes death so so much of an issue in our lives. And so when you sort of have that more clear in your head, and there's, again, there's many, many more principles here that are sort of beneath that. Well, what you just did was theoretically, if you thought that through in a real way, it should at least somewhat have done something which I like to call, which is not, my, not my own phrase, blowing your mind. What does it mean to blow your mind? It means that you had this idea. You're like, oh, death is bad. and Now it's like... Wait, death is bad because it's a loss of self through a body. Loss of self through a body means that now I can't access another self. That means I can't connect another self, which means I can't continue my journey of self discovery and self connection with other selves, and we can't all be part of this one family growing towards whatever the purpose of this world is, the purpose of our lives is. So, like that thought process, kind of going from just death is bad to that much more expanded perspective is what we call blowing of our minds because now instead of having a narrow perspective that things are just, well, death is just bad and everyone knows why, right? We just know it's bad. And by the way, that that's how this goes very often. People will just sort of say, well, we all know why this is bad. Death is just bad. It's like it's not wrong. It's just that it's so shallow and so narrow that you're going to feel like you're you're stuck in this narrow space to the point where if you then have debates about these things with other people on Facebook or in other, on the media or whatever, the conversation just becomes very like it's a very narrow conversation. No one really thinks that death is good. People sometimes say things like, well, you know— um, It has a role to play or life matters more, like because of death, there's so many different ideas that float around, but because they're so isolated, no one's sort of thinking how all these ideas connect and creating a framework that they're all proportionately uh, positioned. So then it just creates a lot of confusion and a lot of just a sense of being untethered and sort of all over the place. And so that is the process of going from like a fragmented, like "Here's here's an idea, here's an idea, here's an idea, here's an idea. to a Mashiach headspace. Mashiach headspace means that now you have the you've learned all the ideas, you have clarity how things fit together, and then you're sort of you're literally blowing your mind from a narrow perspective, which is just fragmented and confused, to understanding how who you are, what life is about, where you're going, and what this is for, in a way that is constantly getting broader and broader and broader. And so that's something which uh, I think is. It's very possible. It involves a few things. First of all, it involves being aware of human beings' shortcomings. You have to sort of realize that people are very prone to distorting ideas and sort of seeing things out of sync. You got to really do. As an example, you have to sort of read a lot. So right now, the finance world is is collapsing, and if you've read many of the accounts of different financial, um, you know, analysts and. And, and just Warren Buffett and all of his students and predecessors and people like that, like what's happening now in the world is not new in any way. But you have to sort of read like, like 100 books that all sort of share all the different histories, what happened in every different crash in the market and how people react and why they react that way. And so once you sort of see that whole picture, well, then you're not going to be part of it in the same way because you're sort of aware of it. And you're able to sort of not be in the narrow space of, well, it's going up, it's going down, the market's this, the market's that, the stocks are this, stocks are that, the oil is this, the oil is that. Like, instead of kind of getting sucked into these things, you're able to sort of see there's a much bigger pattern here and you're sort of a little bit outside of it. That's what allows you to then potentially, hopefully, not do as badly or maybe even profit off of these complicated situations. So the same thing is true with the Torah. There's so many concepts that are out there that you have to sort of access, sort of see how these pieces fit together and they just need to be learned. So instead of just learning about Shilchos Shabbos, or you know uh random daf yomi gemaras there's a lot of things that need to be learned that are that are in the torah in the talmud in the gemara in in the midrashim that need to be analyzed and thought about that's really what the whole point of this channel is and other people who are doing what i'm trying to do which is talk about the things that are not talked about so often so we can put them into the puzzle piece picture and then understand how the system actually works so with all that as a background let's just sort of wrap this up and go towards the mashiach concept here when you get a preponderance a critical mass of people who are doing that kind of thinking who are looking to understand things they're not looking to react they're not looking to they don't hear a line about the flu and say no you're wrong because this no you're wrong because that no you don't care no you don't care like they're not doing that kind of reactive thinking and talking which is what is going on on the right and the left in the politics sphere it's going on in the in the media sphere pretty much constantly that entire Argumentative approach, which is designed to elicit more and more reactivity from the various people on both sides, to polarize. So we're talking about rising above all that, when you're not part of that, and we have that most people are actually not interested in just arguing those types of polarizing ideas, but instead they're interested in understanding. What do you genuinely think? Like, what's like what situation would you say that abortion is good? and what situation would you say abortion is not good? And what's your underlying understanding of that? What does it mean to have a fetus? Is a fetus an actual person? Well, what is a person? Is a person consciousness? Is a person a body? Is a person something that's consciousness shining through a body? Well, what about a baby that doesn't even have consciousness yet, a little baby a five-year-old like is there a way to understand those different gradations how do we think about that and the answer is yes there's lots and lots and lots of information about that both in science and in the torah that needs to be discussed and thought about when we're making or having these conversations but instead we have these very vague polarizing conversations you're pro-life i'm pro-choice and that's just the end of it and if i'm pro-choice that means i think women are allowed to do whatever they want with their bodies and if you're pro-life they're not allowed to and that's the argument and like that's that's a child argument that's there's nothing there to talk about so and and again the two sides don't even really think those things you sat down and got off of the polarizing thing you could actually understand what each person is really thinking about every situation in case you'll find that most people are this far apart in their ideas if they're even apart. So that's the basic uh, uh, freedom of mind that we need to sort of create to achieve mashiach. So that kind of gets us to our to our final point here. Well this situation right now is this a mashiach runway or not? Well I'll tell you a couple things. One is it's very in- it's very interesting what's happening. I mean this is unprecedented. As you all know, this is a completely new phenomenon. What, what, is, what, what I can say is for sure happening is um, that we have something here called yisurin. Yisurin means something which now uh, shoves you. The word yisurin comes from the word lasur. It usually is translated as suffering, but does not mean suffering. It means that which makes you change direction. When you are lasur, so you're now changing your path. Well, yisurin means things that cause people to sort of be moved. They now are going to think more carefully or more deeply about what they're going through. And decide if, what, where the, if their path is actually good or not, and that, that Yesurin always is an is a automatic result, or is even the same thing as uh, change in your life. Whenever something changes in your life, so you have a certain routine, something suddenly it veers. That's called Yesurin because people tend to sort of continue on the same path, but their life just veered, and they're like, "Oh, this is so uncomfortable. I need to. I want to go this way because I'm so used to going this way. I'm being forced to go that way. That's Yesurin. So we are all experiencing a certain amount of Yesurin right now. If you're the kind of person who is very open to Yisurin, always looking for more change and constantly you have a very big picture perspective, so whatever happens, you're not you're not really so surprised by it. You're kind of like well, this was one of a number of possibilities, and I'm going to use this now in the same philosophy I have about how to deal with all of life in my big picture perspective, and I'm now going to somehow uh, incorporate and digest this new phenomenon and then sort of use it to continue my process of, of, of evolution, connection, and growth. That's what I'm here to do. So, And even though it's hard and painful and there's death involved and, and, and suffering, and, but I'm going to use all those difficult things and all the good things that come out of it too, which there are good things that are coming out of this whole situation which everyone knows about. So I'm going to use these things to become more of what I need to become in my life and in the world. So if you're using these Yesurin in that way, well, then you're achieving more and more and more Mashiach perspective. And the interesting thing is that this is a very large scale type of Yesurin, which unifies many, many people in terms of the experiences that they're all sharing. So that's a little bit unprecedented in terms of the Mashiach dynamic because what it kind of leads to is this is driving people to be a little bit more thoughtful. It's driving people to be a little bit more real because they're being forced to pull back from their routines and start contemplating their actual path and their trajectory in their lives. Now, is that enough to make it a Mashiach runway that we can now expect this is going to be like Mashiach happening in terms of will the world turn into this mashiach ready place in the next six weeks or two months or whatever that is highly unlikely just because that amount of time is not enough to really get everybody to suddenly can completely open their minds to higher consciousness and broader perspectives so if it's a six months or two months or one month you know process here it's unlikely this will cause a, a in itself enough of a shift in people's consciousness to lead to mashiach it could, but it's again—you have to look at that that data. The data is like: Are people getting broad-minded enough from the situation to be that way? So far, most data points the other way. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of anger, a lot of sadness, a lot of fear, uh, a lot of chaos in a lot of different ways. So th- those things are kind of, you know, pointing to the opposite, or maybe not the opposite, but at least they're not showing that we're getting to that point yet. So if this went on for like a whole year and the world basically stopped in its tracks for a year or two years. So then we're really talking about a world-changing event, like that's a permanent change, which it's unclear how that would even play out and what that would mean. Not saying that's a good thing in any way, but like there would be a lot, a lot, a lot of factors there to start to analyze, and there would probably be some people who would move towards a broader, you know, spirituality, uh, consciousness, development, and and expansion perspective, while a lot of other people would probably move towards a fear and looting and and very dangerous uh, primitive perspective. So there's no way to really gauge that at this point, but... It does seem like we're having an interesting situation so that that's just how to think about the surin component uh on an individual level what i would say though and this is i think very relevant to any person who's just watching this so all of you are you know just to think about this part um especially in the jewish community but just true in general you can use this as an opportunity to do to create higher level thinking on purpose once you're aware of this way of being in other words once you know that the goal of being here is to get to a broader perspective and to sort of constantly expand your consciousness to connect more and more and more to others and to sort of learn more and more deeply who you are and what this world is about which is what all of Torah learning actually is so once you know that's the point of this you can use these experiences for that so as an example um, I've heard a lot of rabbis and a lot of different people talking about how right now none of us are able to go to the synagogue uh, to daven together to do tefillah together in groups and we're being forced to be in isolation and separate well some people say that's something which is, you know, it's good in a certain way. Why is it good? Because then you're going to miss it when you come back and you'll really value it a lot more later. So I completely disagree with that. I don't think that's true at all. I think that people will miss it definitely and then we'll come back to it later, maybe in a month or two months and feel a little bit of appreciation, you know, in the short run, maybe for a week or two and be like, oh, this is so nice again. Maybe some of them will have larger scars so they'll feel more like appreciation even for longer than that. But I think people will just as much feel like they're just happy to be around their friends again. They're just happy to be out of their houses. And a lot less will be about appreciating what the spiritual nature of a synagogue is and much more about sort of just being back to normal. It's also true with schools and with kids and you know, just sort of having the freedom to have our kids go to school again. Many parents will say, I'm so happy my kids are going back to school so they can learn. But also a lot of parents are just going to be happy that their kids are no longer in the house because parents very often are not trained to parent because their, their kids are usually being parented by people they're paying in schools, which is a much longer discussion on its own. So I would argue that's actually not something which is particularly relevant. That, you know, not being able to go to the synagogue. I would say there's actually a much more powerful thing here to take out of a situation, which is that suddenly if you're not able to go to the synagogue, you're not able to actually send your kids to school, you are now forced to be who you really are by yourself. Which is a very hard thing to do for a lot of people, especially in the Torah and spirituality and Judaism space, to actually say, well, I'm not davening with a minyan. I'm not davening with a group of people now. I'm not doing tefillah anymore with a group. It's just me. So usually when you miss Minion, so you're kind of like, well, I missed it. So like, I'm just going to do my own davening and I'll just, it's not such a big deal because I, I, I miss Minion. So kind of like they did the real davening. I'll do like a little davening and then I'll kind of move on. If you're forced, if you're not missing Minion anymore, now you're davening on purpose at home. So now you actually have to really figure out what that, what that, what's that going to be like. And you don't have a, 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 you know, a short-term situation here. This could be going on for another month or two. Your Tfila at home for the next two months like you gotta figure out what you're gonna do with that. Like you're just gonna do nothing, you're gonna sort of coast through that and not really pay any attention to it, not think about it, not do any any differently, not try to get deeper into what exactly it is. It's just you and and it's fila now. There's nobody else there. There's no other people to socially pressure you, there's no, you know, being able to be distracted from tefillah because you're when you're bored, you can go talk to your friend. You gotta actually figure out what your relationship is with this thing. Same thing is true with learning Torah, same thing is true with like with being a parent. You gotta suddenly actually learn your kids and sort of see what they're like in an entire day. And the norm is not that your kids are in school. The norm is that your kids are in a relationship with you as parents. And this is like a thing that for you to do as a real person to like actually get to learn who these people are in your family and in your life in a way that is really that you're not used to just because you sort of trained yourself out of it. And so that's a very intense set of challenges that you can really, you know, kind of go head first in and use. And so I, I think that that's, you know, you're supposed to really be investing in yourself now and making yourself stronger internally and, and authentic. And real in terms of your relationship with who you are with your with your relationship with torah with your relationship with tefillah your relationship with other people uh, on the inside to become more of an independent self and then when you go back out into the world you can then be more of a contributor and an active presence instead of someone who's just sort of like there, letting the group sort of pull things on the peer pressure level you're kind of just getting pulled along with that so that's a very important principle i think here that that's really what you should be doing with easy surin when you're forced to be isolated it means you need to be with yourself and you have to be with your family, and you got to figure out what you really care about, that's really what the avoda of this is. If you do that effectively, so maybe it'll, it'll lead to a Mashiach situation in the short term. Maybe not. There's definitely some interesting things going on. Like I said, one other thing is the, the seasonal time period of this. It's right before Pesach, and Pesach is the time of freeing yourself from Mitzrayim and opening your mind to bigger perspectives. But it could be as just a short-term example of that, a smaller one and it's sort of like a little, a little earthquake before we get to the bigger one in the next who knows how many years, the real Mashiach time period. But the point is that if you use this time now to do that expansion process, and you're opening yourself to who Mashiach is and who you could be as a part of that stage-setting effect. So then you're doing what you need to do no matter what time period you're in. Whether he's coming tomorrow or in a hundred years from now, it is irrelevant. Because your job is to be that person who is setting the stage that way. That's what we say, the Medrash says in Parashat Vayechi, we do not calculate when Mashiach comes. Because it's not about that. It's not about when Mashiach is coming. It's about when you're going to be free. When are you going to do the geula you need to do to actually allow for, it, for that leader to even show up? And yes... At some point, when you have enough people that are going to free themselves in that way, there will be a leader who will see that and who will say, I know what to do with this. will show up and then sort of take everybody to an even higher state of being that we call Ulam Haba, which is a much longer discussion of immortality. And, you know, really beyond all small perspectives, it's a much longer thing. It does not mean heaven. It's an immortal life in this world, like right here. But the point is, that, like, that's, that's after we get ourselves to that place. So your job here is not to be like, Oh, I hope somebody will come and save me. Your job now is the opposite of that. It's to save yourself from the situation that you are in. In other words, you have whatever small perspectives that you have, whatever distorted ways of thinking that you have right now in your head, your job is to use these Yisuren to break those, blow your own mind, learn, learn more, read more, understand more, figure yourself out, have difficult conversations with the people in your family, try to learn them, try to listen, try to like ask questions that are real or penetrating that are that you don't usually ask. Things that you're nervous about that you don't really want to find out about. Things that you're kind of nervous to say about yourself. Those are all areas where you are being narrow, where you're hiding from things that are important. And so use this time to become more real, more transparent, more authentic. Figure out where you're insecure. Things that you don't like about yourself that you're hiding, that you have problems with and put them out there. Figure them out with your wife, with your husband, with your father, with your son, like whatever it is and try to get that kind of rolling, that's the process here. If you do that, then yeah, Mashiach's coming because you're bringing Mashiach energy through you and then you're just contributing more building blocks raising up the whole world one little piece at a time towards getting us there so again in terms of the actual person well we'll have to wait and see but in terms of what you can do this is a great time to do all that so use that time wisely and think think about all the ways to do it effectively proactively instead of just being a victim i don't know what to do i'm so afraid i'm so worried be like i'm going to use this to become an even greater me whatever happens i know that i will always have that result that i'll be someone who's more real in that way. Hope that's useful. Think about all that stuff and see if uh, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. And uh, looking forward to seeing you in the future videos.